Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Rhys. And you're listening to No Garnish. So what are we drinking today, Paul? Today we are drinking Kingston Sound Systems. Wow, that's a cool name. It's a cool name, isn't it? And it's a really nice drink. Um, we've been doing some old ones. This one's from 2017, so it's the most modern one we've done yet. What do you mm. think? Do you like it? Yeah, it's nice. It's um, this is, Yeah, I like it. I can drink this. <laughs> I can drink this a lot. Okay. Yeah. This is a summer cocktail, definitely, because it's all the pineapple and, and lime. And Is it pineapple? It's not pineapple, it's soursop. I've never heard of soursop, what is it? Yeah, it's a hard-to-find ingredient. I think you'd be lucky in this part of the world if you can find a real one. So it mostly grows in the Caribbean and South America, Southeast Asia. Okay. So the Kingston Sound System uses soursop nectar, which is easier to find. You can find that in cans and bottles in... Uh, what do you call those kind of grocers that not like a normal supermarket kind of like a an exotic supermarket an exotic su- <laughs> yeah 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 that's the word um, so if you're looking for yeah if you're looking for soursop nectar you bet is looking in something like a an exotic supermarket <laughs> as you say or um, an ethnic supermarket you can always buy it online and it's a really unusual fruit it's got a really unusual taste to it I don't think there's a western equivalent it's a fruit that tastes like multiple fruits a bit of strawberries a bit of apple a bit of banana a bit of pineapple it does taste like a mix of all those things yeah it does doesn't it when i've seen other people making this they often substitute pineapple for soursop nectar right and i would say don't it works but it's a totally different drink it's got a very different flavor if you use pineapple instead of soursop soursop's kind of quite mellow right Right. Quite kind of rounded in its flavours. Is it sort of a little bit like um like, like imagining it's a bit sort of coconutty, like a coconut milk? Yeah, it's got that softness to it. It's got a kind of a tropical softness. Ooh, that's a good way. Ooh, of I like it. it. And it, and it. But what does it look like? It's a bit of a relative to custard apples. It looks very similar to a custard apple and about that same size. I never even knew a custard apple existed. Yeah, I think I might be quite disappointed though because I'm guessing it doesn't have custard in it. Not in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> like you just bite into it. It's like a it's like a donut. Like a custard donut. That'd be great. That would be amazing. There are a few fruits like that, aren't they, that um have a custardy custard like flavour to them. What, like a banana? No, just weird tropical things. Right, right. You know, you must have sort of seen outside, you know, like Indian grocers and things. Yeah. A yeah, whole yeah. load of vegetables and fruit that you've got I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Or what it tastes like. Yeah, I mean I think we're really lucky in Brighton because there's a lot of uh, sort of international supermarkets, aren't there? But I, I didn't grow up with any of that. And when I go into, like, a Jamaican supermarket, I, I have no idea what anything is. <laughs> so yeah. I'm always a little yeah. bit, like, feel a little bit out of my depth. And, and I look at fruits and things and think, I have no idea what I would do with that. And actually, you kind of do need to know, because it's like the first time you, you open an avocado and you can almost like slice your hand off can't you because you just you might not even know there's a stone in it but the Kingston Sound System that's kind of an interesting name so it was created in 2017 by Shannon Mustafa who specialises in modern tropical cocktails and she created this cocktail there was a punch competition to make cocktails inspired by reggae music and um, one of her favourite reggae songs is Skylarking by Horace Andy that she loves I love that track as well that made her think of the cocktail The Jungle Bird which is a tropical cocktail that uses Campari as as a bittering agent 
and she made the Kingston sound system as a kind of riff on a jungle bird. And so it uses Jamaican rum, overproof Jamaican rum, lime juice, soursop, and Suze, which is a bitter liqueur that's made from alpine herbs and gentian. So it's quite an unusual mix. You've got Jamaican rum and alpine herbs and soursop, which is the ingredient that holds it all together, I think, the soursop. That's the kind of like the binder. Yeah. That is, that's amazing though, like alpine herbs and gentian. And gentian, yeah. So gen, gentian root is used in lots of Amaro. It's, it's very, very bitter. I think definitely what I've experienced doing these podcasts with you is that the more you become aware of it, the more you can taste it. And I think that's like, like with anything, you know, like someone goes into an art gallery and they know nothing about art. And they look at it and they go, I don't know what I'm looking at. And then you have someone go, well, I know a lot about art. This is why the painter painted this like this and blah, blah, blah. The history of it, the context. And then when you when you understand the context and the history and the origin of it, you can understand what you're looking at. And it's the same with a cocktail. Mm. The more information you're given, the more you can start ab- abstracting these layers of flavor. Mm. So every time you sip it, you're starting to notice the subtleties in it more. You can appreciate it more, you can taste it more, and it tastes nicer as a mm. result. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I think things it's good if things just taste fantastic without knowing anything. Do you think? I, I, I disagree with you on that, because I think if we, if we only sort of go for what we instantly like, we'll never expand our taste profile mm. to, in, to start enjoying other things. And often we need gateways into enjoying other things. You know, I couldn't stand olives until I had a Montanara olive, and I loved them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, these are so delicious. But now I love the really, you know, heavy black ones that are but really did you, but no one, and salty. But you didn't like it because someone told you the story of it, did you? No, but I, but I liked it because someone said to me, well, taste this Montanara olive. It's really special. It's not your regular olive. And I was like, oh, actually, that's really nice. I don't like olives, but that's really nice. I like that olive. So I think that's why it's good to... Because someone might drink that and go, oh, I don't really like it. Like, you like you were like, what do you think? Of it? And, and I was kind of politely sort of saying, yeah, I like it. Because I didn't dislike it. Mm. But it's maybe not something that I would choose again. However, now we've been talking about it and you're talking about alpine herbs. Maybe it's just because I'm incredibly middle class and you've mentioned <laughs> alpine herbs. And now I'm like, oh, alpine herbs. And what was it? Uh, gentian. Gentian. Mm. I'm like, oh, that sounds really, really special. You know, like, oh, I okay. like it. And now I'm really appreciating it, and now I like it more, and I would, I, would, I would ask for it again. I've talked you into it. You've talked me into it. You've sold it mm. to me. Okay, that's interesting. I thought that you would really like this, because you like your rum cocktails. You like fruity rum cocktails. Yeah. I like to challenge you, but I thought with this one, there's an element of challenge, but I think this is more in your wheelhouse. It's a fruity there's, cocktail. There's something in it, and I can't quite put my finger on it. There's this weird sort of slightly toxic taste in there that I'm not used to and I can't quite put my finger on it and I wonder do you you probably know what that is don't you I suspect that's the hogo from the Jamaican rums Ooh, we're using the hogo yeah. is that like some sort of uh, voodoo kind of like mystical like oh someone's put a hogo on you so hogo is that is the <laughs> can I, can I say, hogo is the technical term <laughs> For funk, it's not the t- it sort of is, but so you know, there's sort of like the funkiness that you get with um, 
things like certain cheeses have a funkiness to them. Mm. A lot of Jamaican rums have that kind of funkiness to them. And the mm. term for that is hogo, which kind of derives from the French... T- it sounds exactly the same. Hogo. <laughs> I'm just saying the same word with a pretentious accent. Hogo. So, so hogo is literally H-O-G-O, whereas the French term is H-A-U-T-G-O-U-T. Oh, okay. So I think they pronounce the same, which translated means high taste. And high taste refers to a kind of gaminess just on the turn of being rotten. Right, right, right. Like a really nice, expensive cheese that actually stinks the place out. And everyone's like, why would you like that? Slightly rancid, slightly rotten. That's where Hogo comes from. And it's really hard to describe. But so in the 18th and 19th century, that kind of flavor was really desirable. Right. And it became less so in the 20th century. So most rums have managed ways to filter that out, but Jamaican rums especially have kind of kept that as their kind of signature yeah. element. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's like when you think about style. So, you know, because I'm an illustrator, you know, I'm a graphic artist. Something that I've done over the years is I've refined my style and I've refined it down and I've broken it down and I've, and I've tried to iron out all the kinks. But actually, what makes an illustrator, an artist, or a musician, or whatever, it isn't about the perfection. It's about it's about the imperfection. It's about the balance between perfection and imperfection. It's about... Because sometimes the things that aren't good are the things that make it good. Mm. So it's like with a bad cheese. It's the bacteria in it, like a really good stinking, like stinking bishop. You know, if you serve that to people, you're supposed to leave it out to the point where it's kind of melting and you're just about to throw it away. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you okay. know, like it, like there's a point where, where, you know, you're supposed to leave it for about a day, depending on the temperature, because it gets really ripe then. But if you leave it too long, then you can't serve it to everyone because you're, everyone will be ill and they'll hate you. <laughs> Do you, you know, know what I mean? You seem to know a lot about stinking bishop cheese. Oh, well, it was I was introduced to it again, introduced to things, because I, at, when I was 19, I trained to be a fine wine and cheese specialist in a fine <laughs> wine and cheese shop and bar. Really? It was in my gap year. Wow. And and, and I hadn't got into uni, and I got this job. And okay. Because you guys 19, so I'd worked in a fudge shop before, and now I was working in a fine cheese shop. A fudge shop. shop? Yeah, so I was a fudge, working in a fudge shop before. I was a, an official fudge packer. <laughs> um, considering I'm gay, that's just <laughs> hilarious. And then, and then, yeah, I've worked in a fine... And the fine cheese company in Bath is, is really renowned for its kind of excellency. And, um, and yet they employed you. And yet they employed me. <laughs> well, the, the crazy thing... <laughs> They didn't know. It. They, they didn't know. It, they didn't did. know. I mean, you know, I've got, I've got the voice, and I had, you know, I had the sort of the 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 way I could bullshit my way into into jobs. Then uh, it was a nightmare. I lasted six months. It's the only job I got fired from twice and left with a really good reference. But that's the end of the story. You know, like there were like. 80 different types of blue cheeses uh, on a Monday morning at half past eight I'd have to clean throughout the whole it would take me the whole day you have to clean every one of the blue cheeses because they sweat um, and the only way to tell that the cheese is okay is to taste it so I'd have to taste you know 80 different types of cheese so if you'd gone out drinking on a Sunday night it was just horrendous <laughs> oh wow can you imagine yeah and I was 19, so I had a my manager. I didn't get on very well with. She wasn't very nice, and I wouldn't ever. I would normally like to be mean about someone with their appearance, but because I didn't like her, I feel like I can. But she looked like a goose. 
Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, and she would tell me off all the time. Uh, I used to smoke a little tiny joint on my on my toilet in the morning just so that I could get through the first hour with her so I'd wow. be a little bit half cut and not care. Mm. And it was just maddening because it would just be like every morning it would be like, Reese, put the bread out. And I know as soon as I would arrange the bread, she would come over and go, no, it's just not right. Just, it was you just weren't having to like make bread sculptures. No, like, no, just, just, just put the bread out on the window, okay. but I could never even do Cast that right. Picture in castles made of bread no 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 that that parapet is completely wrong completely wrong reese i've told you i've told you like you don't put the sourdough next to the fuckiana chino or whatever it is you know just you just don't it's not done i mean you know our clientele because people would come in one person spent like 1500 pounds on cheese for a wedding you know that's, that's an awful lot of cheese isn't it yeah i mean like or when you, you look at a massive truckle of cheese i hope they like cheese because <laughs> that's what you're getting to eat i know <laughs> i think they had like cheese instead of a cake a wedding cake they had like a wedding cheese not a cheesecake like not like a nice thing like just a load of cheese instead of a cake have you ever heard about the, the mammoth cheese no thomas jefferson was president to honor his presidency they made this enormous wheel of cheese like the wow. biggest wheel of cheese that's ever been made <laughs> it sounds like a game show the wheel of cheese <laughs> the wheel of cheese <laughs> And it was so big that you couldn't fit it on any trucks or wag sorry wagons. <laughs> right, right. So they had to sail it down the river to Washington. Wow. Wow, I love it. This is this is all true. Right. I'm not making any of this up. Thomas Jefferson was obsessed with mammoths. Right, right. And he believed that mammoths weren't extinct. They right. still existed. Right. And so in one of the newspapers relating this story of this giant wheel of cheese that's being sent to Thomas Jefferson, they used the word mammoth in a descriptive sense to describe something large. Right. So this, whatever it was, the mammoth cheese. Right. That's being sent to him right and they meant that as a slight right as, as like he's you know he's really into mammoths here's his mammoth cheese <laughs> right. on its way to him right but that use of the word mammoth to, as a descriptor for something excessively large stuck oh interesting so the word mammoth comes from giant cheese <laughs> Ah, I love it. That's amazing. And he was obsessed. Yeah, and it just yeah, he was obsessed with wow. with mammoths. I love people's obsessions. And, I love obsessive behaviour like that. And he used to buy up our mammoth kind of fossils wherever right. he could find them, and stuff them with cheese. <laughs> Well, apparently in one of the one of the rooms of his home, he was trying to reconstruct a mammoth skeleton. I'm just... I, I thought you were going to say... Re <laughs> like he was having like a... Um, what's that film? Close Encounters moment. And, and, and instead of making the like the mountain out of mash, someone came in and he was making a mammoth out of cheese. <laughs> like a life-size cheese mammoth. Just like, like he was just sculpting it off, looking really pleased with himself. Thomas? 
Thomas, what we've, are you we've doing? Got, we've got presidential <laughs> shit to get on with. You've got bills to make and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, he, he was convinced mammoths existed. And he used that great, which is almost like the argument that, that you see being used a lot now with American politics, right. where they're going, you know, this stuff's happening. And yeah. you're going, have you got evidence that it's happening? And they'll go, have you got evidence that it's not? <laughs> I know, I love that. You know, and and that was that. his thing. So when people go, when, would tell him that the mammoth was extinct, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was saying, can you prove it's extinct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, but wah ha He still believed they were out there. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, back in those days, so like a lot of the world would have been discovered, but then there were still pockets of the world that hadn't been discovered. Yeah. And you didn't have like television or radar or, or anything. So I, I I think like back then I kind Did of... Did you mean radar or radio? I meant radar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mammoth radar. Yeah, we're well, just looking for like mammoths on a radar. Do you know what I mean? There's no mammoth here. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, there's a mammoth over there. Oh. She's been in the garden all this time, foraging for some which, berries. We just hadn't pointed the radar in the right direction. Yeah, I know. She's like Jefferson, God's sake. I'm so sorry. I totally sidetracked your um, cheese. No, but I like it. Cheese that was great. That was good. Well, one of the experiences I had, like, because I was tr- I was encouraged to try a lot. I cut off some really nice Serrano ham. But I cut off a really big slice and there weren't any customers in. And I put it in my mouth and I was chewing it, but it was really fatty. And I was chewing it for ages and then a load of customers came in and I was still like chewing this. (laughs) I was like, when is it going to stop? I actually have like stress dreams of that where I can't stop chewing this like ever expanding ham. Because it was just, it was a really big bit. I was a bit greedy. Um, Probably because I was stoned because I had the munchies. I remember my colleague said to me, like, uh, so, you know, uh, he's trying to get to know me. And he went, so what do you like in uh, in a woman? Do you like do you like their legs or do you like their, you know, what, what part of a woman do you like? Really deadpan. I just went, I like my woman with a dick. Nice. <laughs> and I've never seen someone's jaw drop. And I think after six months, like, I just cracked. I was like a man being ground down. And then one of the customers, because some of the customers were really difficult because cause, cause it's an expensive shop. Part of the their experience is to shit on you. <laughs> Right. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Okay. And you're supposed to be like, oh, oh, it was, sir, well, yes, sir, yes, yes, I will do that, sir, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, what, what, what else? What, what else would you, you know? And um, I touched the rind of of her cheese, which actually you are allowed to do. But she was like, you're not wearing gloves, you know. You have it. like, you know, I work in the NHS, and that's incredibly unhygienic. How dare you, you know? I was just like, I've had enough of this shit. And actually, that was in my week probation because. I think it just wasn't going well. And I had sort of been fired for something. I think I got into an argument with my manager. And they were like, Reese, it's not working out. Like, you're a lovely chap, but I think we'll get someone else. I was like, okay, but, you know, at least give me a week's notice. And in that week, that happened. And Because I just said to the customer, I was like, you know what? This is my last week. I just don't care. <laughs> and they're like, Reese, okay, can you really just go? <laughs> but then when I spoke to the boss, the, 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 the top, the, the grand fromage, she uh, right. she did, she hadn't realised I was doing the whole six months by myself, and she was like, "Look, you you know," she's and she kind of saw my side of it, and she said, "Look, you're a really lovely chap. We've really loved you. It's a shame that it hasn't worked out, but we'll give you a, you know you're 19. We'll give you a good reference." It was an interesting experience, though. Like I think for for a 19 year old to kind of be sort of shown so much like lovely, tasty things, mm. and to be taught that, you know. So I look back on it 
with a with a sort of weird like a bit like ho ho hogo. <laughs> can't quite work out if, it, if it's good or bad. I can't help thinking that employing a stoner in a cheese and ham shop <laughs> was maybe another part of error of her judgment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I just don't. I don't think like I didn't look like a stoner. Do you know what I mean? I looked a bit grungy oh, okay. and I looked a bit arty. I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess with the with the fudge shop because I worked there from the age of sixteen. But at sixteen, I was given keys to the place to lock up and everything. You know, I think I've, I think from a very young age, I think people have was kind of falsely put their trust in me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Were you, as well as packing fudge, were you stealing fudge as well? I We made the fudge on site okay. um, in Jim Carrey's uh, traditional way of nineteen of 1889 or something. I can't remember. And we'd have little boater hats and little waistcoats. And, <laughs> and we would, sorry. It's really funny. <laughs> and trying to picture this. Yeah, yeah. And I had bleach blonde hair at the time then. I went in as a heavy metaler with long hair and then I had bleach blonde hair. And then uh, I really loved that job. I really, The manager was awesome. We had so heavy much Heavy metal fun. fudge packer. Heavy metal fudge packer. But I used to go in stoned and eat loads of fudge. My manager even said to me once, like, why are your eyes so droopy? And stop eating fudge. <laughs> like, so yeah, I, yeah, I had quite a lot of interesting, weird jobs when I was a teenager. It was quite, it was quite nice. It's quite nice to have those. Like the fudge shop, I worked there for four years. I loved it. The only food-related job I had when I was younger is I did a day as a temp in the kitchens at Kodak. Right. So in Harrow, Kodak had their huge factory. And is that the the film, the photography? Place? Yeah, Kodak film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I did a, a day as a temp in their kitchens, and I remember it being like a blazing hot summer's day, Oof. where the last place you want to be in was like a really hot kitchen, yeah. indoors in a really hot kitchen, and they were making roasts for some reason. <laughs> oh no! Well, like in the middle of the hot, like yeah. the hottest day of the year. Let's yeah. have like a really yeah. hot, heavy winter roast. Roast slam yeah. 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 And so after going out, they were sending back in. Sort of trays of roast potatoes that hadn't been eaten and one of my favorite foods is roast potatoes right and i could not stand to see all these roast potatoes going to waste right and so they'd given me one of those kind of like long white lab coats yeah yeah and yeah, so yeah. i was just stuffing roast ah! potatoes into my pockets <laughs> and whenever i could i'd kind of nip out the open door stuff a few roast potatoes into my mouth and then can i go back to work <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways it was really good because I just had this endless supply of roast potatoes but it was <laughs> it was one of those miserable jobs that you end up doing yeah and, yeah yeah and the idea of going back a second day was just never gonna happen yeah you know? yeah 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 oh god yeah yeah I've done a few of those where you just like you go in and you have a taster day and you're just like oh um, I've enjoyed that cocktail I've, I've I've finished it now and I've and I got to the end of that and I really enjoyed it good I'm glad to hear that because I think when the ice melts it into it as well it becomes yeah. really refreshing it's a common thing with sort of rocks cocktails that at first you think, oh, I'm not sure about this. And then it reaches that sweet spot mm. and you're like, actually, I'm quite enjoying this. And at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll have another one of those. That was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I definitely. like that little journey you get with rocks drinks. Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's ne really Never true. judge a rocks drink by those first initial sips. Mm. Yeah, and then, and then and it kind of always sets you up for the next one. And then do you want another one? Yeah, I'd love another one.
One of the reasons I like this cocktail so much is that I think it's a really good cocktail to showcase good funky Jamaican rums. And I find Hogo really interesting. And where that comes from, I think it's quite interesting. So the short answer to that is esters. I need to go into a bit of background here about how rum's made. So if you think of rum, it's a liquor made by you ferment and then you distill sugarcane slash molasses by fermentation, talking about kind of letting microbes, microorganisms have at it. So with rum, you have this long fermentation period in a tropical climate where you've got microorganisms and bacteria feeding on plant matter and that output it contains esters. Esters are chemical compounds. Oh, okay, right, right. The microorganisms poop out ethanol and carbon dioxide. Okay. And when those ethanol molecules combine with acid molecules, that creates esters. One of the characteristics of esters is that they often have fruity smells. Right, right. Basically, esters are what make fruit smell like fruit. Oh, nice. So esters can be nice smells oh yeah well. yeah often they yeah. are nice smells so for for example um if you go on wikipedia you can see a whole list of different kinds of esters and then what they smell like right so if you've got isoamyl acetate what that smells like pear drops isoamyl acetate is what they use to make pear drops smell and taste like pear drops right okay a weirder one butyric acid by itself has the smell of human vomit right okay but if you combine it with ethyl alcohol molecules, that smells of pineapple. Wow. So somewhere in the smell of pineapple is the smell of human vomit. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay. <laughs> and my favourite one, ethyl formate. They found this ester, ethyl formate. They found it in a dust cloud called Sagittarius B2, which is near the centre of the galaxy, and that smells of rum and raspberries. I love it. The centre of the galaxy smells of rum and raspberry. How amazing yeah. is that? That's like the Nirvana. That's where we all go when we yeah. die. Yeah. To the Roman Raspberry Galaxy. We're all made of stars. You know, I just love this idea that we're all made of the same stuff. Yeah. As, as above, so below is the phrase, isn't it? I really like quantum theory, the, ooh, what if, you know, quantum theory sort of stuff. And I listen to a lot of that whilst I'm working. All the rules completely go out the window. Yeah. And that's, why, you know, the most famously, isn't it, is Schrodinger's cat. The cat is alive and it's a dead. And, you know, um, when you observe uh, quantum atoms, they they react if they're being observed and they react completely differently if they're not being observed or if you're thinking of observing them they'll react differently and it's quite fascinating that yeah it's a whole other set of principles that just don't relate to our everyday world at all there are parts of it that i just can't get my head around yeah of course time is just a baffling confusing right 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 thing but it's also i always find it really encouraging with with scientists go yeah even we struggle with this we yeah even we can't get our heads around this a lot of the time. Well, I guess because they're still learning about it, there's still there's so many unanswered things about it. And um, it's really interesting what you're saying about smell, you know, going back to cheese. You know, the reason why... <laughs> I love this episode. It's got so much about cheese. Cheese, yeah. yeah well, I, cheese and the nature of time. Well, I just, I love smell because we're talking about smells and like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been told like I'm quite dog-like and, you know, I love curious smells. One of my most favourite smells is my own leather watch strap that I've had for years <laughs> and it's just for everyone else it would be pungent and horrible but for me it's got so many years of sweat and grime and just stuff in it and when I take it off I can't help but just love it do you find it kind of comforting it's comforting it's very very hogo 
Yeah, I used to hold up to my dog's nose and he would just go absolutely crazy. He'd just be like, oh my God, what is this? You oh, know? he'd like it. Yeah, he'd be like, oh. <laughs> like that, you know, mm-hmm. like for ages. Because like, he's picking up like months worth of scents that have been kind of, you know, it's like a whole, almost like, like a, it's like a, an encyclopedia, like a whole novel to him, like a whole trilogy yeah, of yeah, films yeah, yeah. in a watch strap. And, uh, and like with cheese, like, you know, like, um, you know, when you have like really bad, sorry to gross everyone out, but you know, when you have really bad toe jam, mm. you know, or, or like a belly button that's a bit stinky and it smells like uh, Parmesan. It's mm. because it's the same bacteria that you find in Parmesan cheese. And they actually took the, the belly button and toe bacteria and created cheese from it. What? Yeah. So it's really? Some, some scientists, yeah, because it's the same bacteria. Okay, well, that makes sense, because with Hogo, like, some of the same esters that are in Hogo, which, remember that term meaning slightly gamey meat, rotting flesh, it actually shares some of the same esters as actual rotting flesh. Oh, right, wow, okay. And so my friend, when he experiences that, that Hogo in Funky Rums mm. as utterly repellent, it right. actually tastes, it, sorry, it actually smells like rotting flesh to right him. right interesting and he's right because it shares some of the same things as rotting flesh but what's interesting is that he finds it repellent and i love it whether you like that or not some of that is a genetic issue your ability to smell and taste is kind of regulated by about a thousand different genes some of those about half of those aren't even active but that accounts for kind of differences in people's kind of perception and sensitivity and in the same way that you know some people have that genetic disposition to find coriander repellent and i can't stand coriander oh we all one of those people i I hate it i can't josh puts it in cooking and i'm just like can you not put any coriander in for me because it just there's a real acridness to it but is you like stinky cheese and you like the kind of funky rums Mm. or do you like the funky rums or have i just talked you into like you've talked me into it but now we're on our second one i don't like it when i first taste it because you can really taste that hogo Ah. But when it, but when I get down to here, the sweet spot halfway down, yeah, the, the I'm really loving it again. Mm, okay. Um, but I, I, but I find that hogo really interesting. That I find that taste really interesting. And and like I was saying, like about the dog likeness of me finding things that you don't know if you like or you don't like. Quite curious. And it's interesting you're talking about the the the, the smell of rotting flesh because they talk about the sweet smell of death don't they and I've never ex- yeah. really understood that until when I had in my art studio I had a fake floor put in to raise it up and we had mice when we moved in and um, one day I was like what the hell is that smell and I couldn't work it out because I'd never smelt it before and about four days later still smelling it I think it was maybe even a bit longer I was like I've got to find out what that smell is because it was sweet it was pleasant and then it was really unpleasant at the same time i knew it was something wrong Mm. and i ripped up all of this floorboard it was a nightmare but i had to get to it and it was the two mouse that we had and they were dead underneath my floorboards and they'd been rotting and that was the sweet smell of death it was like a sweet chocolate but it was bad you knew it was bad that's really interesting that was making me think of something that was kind of oh it was in my brain somewhere so i used to work as a nurse i used to be a nurse so pressure sores you know which are basically areas of of rotten flesh on people who've and having to dress those they emit a very strong smell and and it's kind of a sweet smell Mm, right it's like nothing else smells like that right right and and i'm and that sweetness with the rotten i can imagine is makes it even more unpleasant i'm i lived Mm. with someone who had very very bad hygiene luckily i didn't live with her very long (laughs) 
I remember when I went into her room because she was moving out. She, I had asked her to clean her room because we were showing it because we were in a flat and a house share. And when I went in, it smelled really bad, but she had sprayed vanilla like scent oh. everywhere, which made it worse because <laughs> it was like sickly sweet and pungent. And and I imagine it's a sort of similar sort of sensation. Sort of interesting, isn't it? Bodily smells and everything, you know. Like, it's funny, isn't it? Go from the Kingston sound system to talking about... Um, I love it. It's such a journey, isn't it? You mentioned um, Horace, didn't you, from Massive Attack, who, who did a few tracks, like... Um, and I really love his his singing. I went to see Massive Attack uh, a couple of years ago when they played at the O2, mm. and he was um, he did the the song, you know, uh, Neighbour, I think it is, Neighbourhood. And he's got that, oh, 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 like, like he kind of, I can't do it, but... He's got a really distinct vocal style. Really distinct, yeah. yeah. It's almost like dub, like that dub reggae, but he does it without a sound effect. Mm. Like, that's his voice. Yeah. And it was really interesting seeing him come on, because he, he danced like he sang. Oh, like, okay. Like that, and he right. was just really sort of... But he must have been in his 70s or something, or late 70s. He, was, he looked quite old on stage. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. as he and then he sort of did his song and then kind of poodled off whilst dancing really slowly, and I was like, oh, what a dude. It was like one of the yeah. best things that I've seen in the last 10 years. Okay. It was it was, ama- it was an amazing light show as well. They had... Um, uh, uh, is it Andy Curtis? The Ad- guy? I was going to say, was it Adam Curtis? Adam Curtis, yeah. He did. So you had all this kind of propaganda type like messaging and and um, images popping up whilst they were playing. It was very sub- it was very politically subversive. I like that. I like it when there's like a political kind of you know. I love Adam Adam Curtis's work as well. I think you know the documentary he's done is absolutely fantastic. You know, mm. fascinating. I find them really fascinating, but often a bit depressing. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, because you just get like hypernormalization. I watched it in two parts. Because I think that was the most depressing one. And you just I've think, seen. oh God, we're all fucked, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he intends that to happen. It just, it just. I think you just um, unpeel the layers, and and yeah. and then you see the the pressure sores of humanity, and then and and he's a bit hogo. <laughs> isn't he? I like it. There's so many hogo things around, like. So are you co-opting that term? Are you going to start using? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think. Thank you. I think that's that's definitely like word of the word of the year. You you mentioned before we started doing this about blue roses. So one of the other elements in this drink is Sue's, which is a gentian liqueur. There were a few different colours of gentian flowers, but one of the colours is blue. And that got me thinking about blue in nature and why so few things are blue in nature. And I'd, I've actually I'd come across stuff around this recently and learned that one of the reasons for that is that there's no naturally occurring blue pigment. And so plants and animals that are blue, they either achieve that by mixing pigments of different colours right. to make blue, right. or they do it through tricks of the light. Oh, interesting. Um, so they're not actually blue... No. But we perceive them as blue. Yeah. Just because of, of, of how they trickery us with their illusions. Yeah. So they can take they use pigments that can change the wavelength of light to make it appear blue and it's got a good name. That process is called coherent scattering. Ooh. Yeah. And that means they use those pigments to scatter light waves and then make them interfere and create the illusion of blueness. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, actually. Like, I mean, you know, a lot of my work with with uh, illustration, you know, I find it fascinating 
how colors can look completely different. Like if I'm working on a three color or a four color screen print and I'm very limited with the colors and, and you put a color next to a color and all of a sudden that color changes because yeah. you're actually seeing the two colors together. Basically, all our kind of perceptions are very individual. You know, one person's red is another person's orange. And yes. one person's blue is another person's green. And yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting you're saying about there's not much blue in the world because one of the um, most uh, precious colors is purple um, in pigments for mm. artists. And, yeah, yeah. you know, the royal purple... And, of course, the only way to make that very hogo in itself is is that, you know, it was probably one of the worst jobs in Britain to make purple for the royal family because you make it through fermentation of uh, crustaceans and sea urchins and everything and the mm. poor person making it would have to boil it for days and days and days, rancid, make it go off. I don't know, that I, and, and, just, and just keep on stirring and stirring it. And then the way that they knew that it was right, they just have to taste it. Oh, and really? Apparently it would just be disgusting, the smell of it. Can you imagine all the, like, rotten seafood going off? But then that would produce the colour purple, the dye of purple, and that was purely for the royal family. So the royal purple is yeah. literally created by taste. Almost, yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, obviously now you can make purple in much easier ways, but back then that's how they did it. And it's almost wow. like a blue purple. And when you think about bruising and death, it's blues and purples and that yeah. colouring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And actually when you think yeah. about it in nature, maybe that's why there's few things, because we we associate blues and purples with bruising and death. And mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There must be some sort of relationship there. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that that colour doesn't, that it's like one colour that just doesn't exist in a, in a pure pigment form. Well, actually it does. There's one animal, there's one animal known to humans that can make blue pigments. Oh, I think I know this one. Do you? What's your guess? My guess is an octopus. No, it's a Brazilian butterfly. Oh, interesting. Called the Abrina olive wing butterfly. Right. The only creature known to humans that can make blue pigment. Wow. God. All the other all the other blue blue butterflies do it by mixing pigments or by tricks of the light. Oh, I see. Mm. Through this um catastrophic what what was it? Cat catastrophic scattering. <laughs> That's a good phrase as well. <laughs> coherent scattering. Co coherent scattering. So there's never been a blue rose, but it's been a very desirable thing and horticulturists have spent you know, centuries trying to create a blue rose. Right. And it was finally achieved in 2004. And it was created by the Japanese whiskey company Suntory. Right. And they called their blue rose applause. Can you, um, can you f uh, sign this podcast off with uh, a little extra from um, Kiss from a Rose by Seal? Baby! Murder, murder. Did you know? <laughs> That's what it's like, isn't it? I, it's funny because cause we went to the Iceberg Lounge recently for my birthday, my, me and my partner, which is just opened up and it's in London, but it's a Batman-themed restaurant and you would think that sounds really tacky but it's like really expensive and really high class and, and I loved it and it's, mm -hmm. it's like the Penguin's hideout restaurant. It's very like Art Deco. And then we had Kiss from the Rose where they put a rose uh, as a dessert a rose in uh, liquid nitrogen and then um, wafted it around and then cracked it over the dessert. Oh, amazing. And all they needed was just... That. Yeah, all they needed was a little, like, uh, speaker playing Kiss from the Rose. I thought you were going to say a little seal. <laughs> a little seal. <laughs> a little seal. By the, <laughs> yeah. like three, sort of three inches high yeah. by the side of the dessert. <laughs> Baby! 
I want to see a fish from a rose minnow minnow. Oh, did you know? The life within 90 degrees. I actually love it as a song. This is fascinating. You know, we're talking about different, you know, genetic differences in kind yeah. of perception, smell, taste, hearing. That's what you hear when you hear... That's not what I hear. What do I... you hear? Just naffness. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. Like, what I say is really interesting because we watched Batman Forever after we get, got back. And I was like, yeah, isn't, isn't the song Seal like attributed with it? And it's not in the film at all. But Joel uh, Schumacher, uh, really, the ad director, really loved Seal. That song wasn't doing good at all. It was like number 60 in the charts, but he really loved Seal and wanted to use it. And I think it was around that time they attributed, kind of, bought like a hit single with the film and kind of combined them together. And that actually made it a number one hit and actually brought Seal back to life. <laughs> <laughs> And and he's hogo in himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any of his other stuff, but I mean, I like Seal like, is definitely hogo. <laughs> yeah. I know. Also, listeners, I don't listen to the the song regularly, but I did listen to it recently, and it kind of brought back nostalgic memories. And it is just it's just such a weird track, isn't it? There's so much going on. It's a little bit like um, the Robin Hood one, isn't it? As well. Just naffness all over. I hate it? those sort of ballads. I, yeah. hate, I just hate them. They're horrible, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a rubbish film as so well. So thanks for it? ending the podcast on that note. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry, but you can just edit that out. Um, yeah, we've gone from a blue, like an amazing blue rose. That that was the image like... I was aiming for to end for. And you're like, oh, well, I'm going to talk about Seal. <laughs> Kiss from a rose. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's where my brain's going. <laughs> the problem is with the, with the Japanese whiskey company. I have no, I've never drunk it, so I don't know Some what it's like. Point. It's kind of hogo. I think you're overusing it. <laughs> but, when, but when you applied it to Seal, I'm t- uh, that, that one I totally accept. <laughs> No hogo next week. No hogo. No hogo. That word is banned. <laughs> it's been overused. I think I've... we've overused it this week. <laughs> well, we're out of time. It's the end of today's podcast. Can we, can we give listeners a challenge? I want I want listeners to, to try and use the word hogo as much as possible in the next week and just try and drop it into sentences. I want to see if okay. we can like like spread the word hogo around and then maybe it becomes like, you know, like when I was at college, it was like everyone used to say everything was sketchy. Maybe we could start a slang. And, and, then, and then in like a year's time, Here's some sort of teenager go, oh man, that's like really hogo. <laughs> and then it'll be a bit like um, like your cocktail stories. And then there'll be someone else who said, no, I came up with hogo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've set it. You've set that challenge. Okay. Okay. Um, How are we going to finish it? Well, I was trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't. Like, I want to send people a ch- hogo challenge. We're done. We're done here. We're done. We're out. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. (laughs) The hashtag Hogo. Hashtag Hogo. Don't, don't. You're like, oh no, he's hashtag now. Oh, fucking hell. Get him off. That's so 2015. 2015. I love it.